podcast. My name is Dr. Chris Papadopoulos and I'm the co-host of the podcast and lead of the London Autism Group charity that produces the show. Today's episode comes from another of our live stream episodes in which we interview, in which James and I interview Tigger Pritchard, an expert in pathological demand avoidance. We talk about the work Tigger has been involved with, what PDA means, the importance of understanding what demands are and how avoidance of demands is frequently entirely rational, reasonable and sensory based, methods to reduce demands and how to manage demand reduction and management during COVID-19. To access and participate in future live stream episodes in which we talk with experts about mental health and coping during the COVID-19 pandemic among the autistic and wider autism community, please visit our public Facebook page which you can find by going to www.facebook.com forward slash London Autism Group Charity. There you'll also be able to find the video recordings of past episodes of which you can also access at our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening to this intro and now I bring you the live stream audio from our interview with Tigger Pritchard. All right, so we are live for our latest uh, live stream episode on mental health during the coronavirus uh, epidemic. And today we're going to be talking specifically about PDA, pathological demand avoidance. And we have Tigger Pritchard, who is an expert in this area. Uh, And we're honored to have you on, Tigger. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. I'm an expert that's still learning. Yes. And I've got to still learn because it's it's so fluid and so change out there. But thank you so much for asking me to take part in this. No, 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 no. You're you're welcome, and and thanks for making the time. Uh, and James, it's great to see you again. How are you doing, James? Hi there. Yeah, we're all right. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, great, 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 great. All right. So yes. Yeah, so today, as I said, we're going to be talking about something that's called, in inverted commas, pathological demand avoidance. Um, perhaps we'll talk about what it all means according to your perspective, maybe a little bit, Tigger. But first, oh, if you don't mind. Oh. Oh, sorry, I was just going to ask, uh, if you don't mind, just perhaps introducing yourself and the work that you do and that sort okay. of thing. Um, hello, everybody. Um, Tigger <laughs> is a real name. I changed it about 23 years ago because people called me Tigger for ages, and I thought, I'm just going to change my name. Um, I was born very early on, parents thought I was going to die. They gave me a, a birth name I didn't like, and with their blessing, eventually I changed it. So, hello. Um, I've worked primarily with awesome individuals and professionals for the past 30 odd years, primarily in Cornwall. And it's been early years and respite and care management and education and college-based stuff. And for all that time, I've loved what I did. I, I didn't do very well at school. I didn't like school at all. I'm not academically orientated. I don't like writing. Um, I wasn't ever had any idea what career I do, but I just fell into this world and felt like it fitted like a hand in a glove as the saying goes I felt at home um so I finished in education I used to run an area at Truro College in Cornwall which was the 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 only area at that time I think still is for for awesome individuals with communication issues and so on and so forth um from a 16 plus setting I went to a lot of the specialist schools in the county and worked really hard um since then went freelance and just taught and, and worked with people and did conferences and training, worked with families. The family work started to get a lot more, and I really liked that. I, I, I think I have a – I said to people have a neurologically interesting brain. 
So sometimes they go into situations and they go, yeah, I can get that. I can get that. I can understand that. I can smell that. I can taste that. I can hear that. I can see that. And that's always worked well over the years. And I think all that 30 years of experience was there, learning from a huge variety of individuals and professionals. And then I suddenly realized that maybe I think a bit differently. Um, retroactively, I think there are definitely family members I've got that are awesomely on the spectrum. And I thought that's why I fit. I then became involved with the National Autistic Society, first as the vice chair and then the chair in the county of Cornwall. And basically, if I have a passion in life, it's this. It's the world of autism. I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm thinking, uh, I'm changing, I'm reforming ideas all the time because the world is so fluid. I love what I do. And so I kind of wear two hats. I say there's a professional hat, which is what the TV training hat is, but also do a lot of work with the National Autistic Society. It brings me into contact with families, individuals. I need that. I need to be doing stuff, um, especially at this moment in time. So it, it's 30 ideas in my life, but I think I get it personally a lot. I think there's a lot of things I understand and see. You know, I have sensory issues that I cope with noise levels, banging doors, I've mentioned already before we got on, and some other stuff. So I really, I think... And it's a passion. It's just a passion. I love what I do. And I'm lucky to, to be able to, 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 to do what I do in this awesome autism world. That's great. And sounds like you're having an enormous impact mm. on uh, the autistic and wider autism community. And I think it's particularly great in your area in Cornwall that you're really there being supportive, doing what you do. Because obviously, as we talked just before we came on about the cuts in uh, services mm. in, in Cornwall, so that's particularly uh, problematic. And so, you know, you doing what you're doing is particularly uh, impactful, I'm sure, given that. I'm lucky that there's a lot of good people down here in Cornwall as well. There's a lot of good individuals, professionals, awesome um, groups of individuals fighting for rights, developing things as well. So it's kind of a really good team down here. I'm working a lot where possible with local professionals and the county authorities and so on to really build up what's going on in this county. We've, there's some great things going on, but like most counties, there's a lot more we need to do to, yeah. to get it right, really. Yeah, yeah. So um, so as I said at the outset, we're talking about PDA uh, and its sort of intersection with mental health and this whole situation. Um, we've had a couple of questions about this this general area in past um, live streams. So I do think it is something that a lot of people are, are thinking about, maybe maybe thinking about it without realising they're thinking about it, perhaps. But maybe if we start off first with, you know, perhaps a sort of explanation as to what, in your mind, PDA is. I mean, perhaps give us a sort of your it's, overview. It's, I think it's, it's new. I think I'll, I'll explain my journey with PDA, I think, which, which kind of fills it out a bit, really. It's, it's fairly new in this world of, of, of autism. Um, many years ago at True College, I worked with an individual and it was said, hey, you know, there's a, there's a young man we're going to work with. And he's a young man has been excluded from school and he's had a lot of issues. And I just, you know, I was their autism guys. They went, go and work with Tigger. And I remember seeing my boss and going, hey, well, this is this is autism. But and I went, there's something I'm not getting here. So there's, there's autism. And I said, but there's something else I can't quite see or smell or put my finger on as the sayings go. And I did all the usual stuff for strategies and timetabling and, and, and A's that he w- would, would work and so on. And it, it didn't. It all went wrong. And he got very anxious and very stressed. And I thought to myself, well, hang on a minute. Um, this is autism, but there's an anxiety level here that I've never seen before. 
there was ways of communicating that to really readily change and adapt, which I hadn't thought of before. And I remember actually writing to um, the, the centre in Nottingham where Elizabeth Newson had worked and went, hi, you know, I'd just been told by a mother. I don't know what PDA was. It was so early on. It was in the days of early Google, I think. And when I put PDA in, it came with personal digital assistant. Yeah, there was nothing on the internet yeah, yeah. Or, or was it public displays of affection yeah, yeah. And there was nothing there so they actually sent mm. me through the post and i wish i'd kept it i wish i'd kept it posterity they sent me through a post document and said this is pda and i read it and i went wow okay this is pda and i was like fascinated by it and i just i've made some notes to refer to forgive me and it was that i remember reading those words pathological demand avoidance and thinking to myself Oh my God, what does, what, you know, I say to people, when you hear pathological, and there's a lot of debate about that as the term in the world, what, what does it mean? It makes you think of, wow, okay, pathological, oh my God, you know, and then demand and avoidance. And the more I read into it, and the more I learned from that awesome teacher I had, it's that first student I worked with who uh, was then 17 at the time, um, it's a while ago now, it was an incredible teacher for me. And then researching, there was very little out there at the time. Um, and then realizing that my usual approaches to that world of autism were not going to work because they were demand laden. They were laden with, you must do, we are going to do, I expect you to. And if somebody has a demand avoidance, that's the last thing you want to do. So <clears throat> I often say to people, PDA, pathological demand avoidance. It sounds a scary kind of label or signpost for someone to have. And what I like is I break it down into, and I say, okay, pathological sounds scary. And there is a lot of debate in the PDA world at the moment whether or not that's a title that will stay. But it's so young. You're looking at the 80s when people realise this was a you know an, an add-on, a subset to that autism spectrum. And really, the pathological bit to me describes the fact that it is something, the actions that that person displays, the anxiety levels they go through are completely and utterly beyond their control. This isn't a power game. This isn't somebody being, and forgive my, my terminology, bloody-minded for the sake of it or being better than anybody else or just not wanting to do anything because or, they would have been, you know, whatever. Or, or naughtiness yeah, at all, yeah, yeah nothing yeah. at all. Um, it is something that is completely and utterly beyond that person's control and devastating to them just as much as it is to individuals around them. And the demand bit, I often say to people, it's any demand, any demand that is out there. And this is what gets interesting i think because when i often work with people i think i say look let's do a demand cup or mug or chart whatever you want to call it and i say look at how many demands you're placing upon the individual upon the individual from the minute they wake up you know indirect demands the sun coming up is a demand do you know what i mean the toothbrush sitting in the the the, the cup in the in the bathroom is a demand the plate on the table is a demand and you can go on forever and those demands are piling up and then, as my example normally goes, you know, someone goes to school, boom, even more. And then the avoidance bit is, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. It's not that I don't want to. It's not that I'm naughty. It's not that it's a power game. It is totally and utterly, I can't do this. I, I'd love to. I think I can. I might have done it the other day, but I cannot do it now. And that level of anxiety is something that I think is incredible petrifying in some ways for so many individuals for for those of individuals who who don't get that level of anxiety it's difficult to understand i think what i often do with people sometimes is i say um i stop if i'm doing a presentation i'll say oh look i'm really bored now tell you what under your chairs are some maths questions 
There's a piece of paper with mask questions on them. Could you please stand up? I'll call one person out at a time, bring you to the front of where I am, be it a conference or a training session, and ask you out loud to go through these mask questions. Mm. And some people go, no, no, there's no way I'm doing that, mate. Mm. And then I go back and I say, do you feel like you have any control over the level of anxiety? Then most people go, no. You occasionally get people who go, I love maths, yeah, which is Mm. fair. But on the whole, people go, no, it just came out of nowhere. And that, I think, sometimes gives us a glimpse into what PDA actually is. It's anxiety-ridden. It's it's a demand. It's any demand that can be there during the day. And and I think one of the hardest things is it is it's it's not recognised in the manuals. So a lot of people can dismiss it as a naughty child or bad parenting, and that's certainly wrong. Um, but it's growing across the globe incredibly at this moment in time and over the past several years, certainly. But it's um, very misunderstood. But does it exist? God, yeah, it does. And there's a huge amount of literature and resources out there. But I, I go back to that first incident. I remember going back to my line manager and saying, this is autism, but... And I've heard that so many times where parents or you know, an individual professional has gone, hey, this is autism, but... So you have that initial diagnosis there, that just identification, and then boom, there's that something else. And it is that the demand issue, which can, as I said, be very, very often misunderstood by huge amounts of individuals, um, mm. but certainly by a lot of professionals. Educators certainly um, mm. will often misunderstand what's going on, sadly. Yeah, that uh, makes a lot of sense. I, I often think of it as a sort of, um, I mean, this might this, this is just my own uh, kind of, conceptualization of it and it could be completely wrong uh, but i often sort of see it as you know we all have internal batteries when it comes to coping with demands right and yeah, so yeah. i wake up in the morning and i'm at 100 percent. and as i go through i try and sort of make sure i haven't gone to zero percent you know by the time i'm at you know six o'clock or whatever i try and see it through but I, I often see sort of uh, people that struggle, particularly struggle with this, you know, with, you know, coping with demands, I suppose. Uh, and the anxiety, as you said, that then really manifests and, and takes control and then further drains that battery, so to speak. Their batteries are often going to be draining much quicker, isn't it? But, uh, I mean, that's the way I sort of yeah, envisage yeah. And, it. And, and what gets me is it can go like that. Yeah, oh, it can right. go from being yeah. just about okay to yeah. boom. Yeah, and that yeah. I think is is what yeah. some people describe as like the the Jekyll and Hyde moment, where yeah. it's just boom, it's just happened. Yeah, I think I mean from what you're saying, it sounds like the anxiety is really a sort of key part of this. Uh, I mean, it's all key, isn't it? It's all interconnected. But when the anxiety goes up, then the the ability, I suppose, to cope and manage uh, in a sort of healthy way uh, the situation becomes much harder, right? So the anxiety yeah, yeah. sort of, you know, compounds, compounds things. But, but I often think, I mean, I, I, I get a lot of people asking me about this a lot of the time. And I often think that, that actually a lot of the demands that are being avoided are often totally reasonable when you break it down. Um, not all, yeah. I, mean, I mean, if you break it down, if, if, for example, you've got, you know, um, sensory issues, you know, and, you know, you know, you're going to, you know, you're expecting either on a sort of conscious or subconscious level that you're going to be going into a, a, an environment that's going to really, you know, um, be challenging for your sensory world, then, you know, you're going to want to do, you're going to want to demand, dem- uh, avoid that demand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think often, I mean, I mean, obviously I'd love to hear your view of it, but often I always think, well, 
actually, when you break it down, when you look at it, when you actually do this sort of investigatory work, a lot of the oh. avoidance that people do oh. is actually quite reasonable. Do you know what I mean? When you like break it down, you look at what's going on. It might not be immediately clear, but if you do enough sort of a forensic assessment, you really go at it, then sometimes it is quite clear and you, you know, it only comes after you really sort of assess it with depth. Actually, it was a rational demand avoidance, you might call it. Well, I think in some areas you can. I think you, you, you mentioned something else here which I want to bring in as well, which is the sensory processing issues. Hmm. And so many individuals forget that as being uh, an anxiety-laden part of somebody's life. So when it comes to the whole COVID-19 <laughs> situation, mm. I mean, obviously the whole game is turned upside down, right? I mean, there are new different types of demands, but presumably there are um, all the coping strategies and structures people had in place to manage demands. That's all gone upside down, right? So would you agree that, you know, it's a particularly difficult time for people that, you very, know, do struggle with... with uh, Very, 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 very difficult mm. because you can't leave your house apart from for one form of exercise. That's a massive demand. Yeah. And as True. we discussed before, if I need to get out of the house um, to go to a, a certain place to reduce my anxieties, because I, I, I like to go there, you know, and it's, it, it's, it's, I mean, I, I mean, as, as I'm sure you have and other people listening have as well, we've all had to face huge amounts of stress placed upon us in the past three or so weeks that we weren't expecting to have at all. So if you've got somebody that <clears throat> all of a sudden there is a massive you cannot do, you must do. And for somebody with extreme demand avoidance, that is very, very confusing, very right. threatening, hugely laden with anxiety. So for those individuals and the families around them, it's extremely complex times. And you, you add on to that, as we mentioned, the sensory world the change of routines that would have been user-friendly for some individuals, the, the, the change of their usual habitats they go to to reduce anxiety and so on and so forth. It's, it's, there are a lot of people out there across the whole of the, of the autism world and culture, um, PDA culture, et cetera, that are really finding this situation difficult, individuals and families alike. So it is very, very stressful for a lot of individuals and families out there. Yeah, my heart goes out to all of them, really. I can't imagine. Um, it must be extremely difficult. So I suppose a lot of people are going to be very keen to hear your tips or your your recommendations on coping, in particular, that minimising of the anxiety and uh, all that sort of side of things. They, they, they're going to be home, usually, I hope, they're going to be at home with people around them that know and love them, that know them, that know brilliantly the sensory issues on what mm. works and what doesn't work. I mean, usually when I'm working with professionals that may not have come across PDA before, I talk about how we have to change our language, how we have to change our almost method of demand uh, if we're trying to get through uh, an education week, a lesson or, you know, uh, an activity and so on. So one thing that is apparent at the moment, and there's, there is some amazing stuff on the PDA Society website. They are, right. from my perspective, the place to go to. They've got some great videos, some amazing resources, and some very up-to-date current stuff around resources and strategies for home life. But it, it's, first of all, you know you know your, your, your son or daughter, you know the person you're living with, and you know what works and what doesn't work. Their whole world, as, as yours, has been turned up and down. 
So you're anxious, they're anxious as well. And there's an issue there where you could, to a certain degree, feed that anxiety off each other. So as well as looking after the person, the pda you also got to look after yourself as a parent or family member to make sure you don't get stressed. And it may Definitely. be that, yeah. that, you know, it may be that if I may use the, the example of, of IT time or Facebook or gaming, it may be all of a sudden for a period of time when we're only three weeks in, that has to increase if it's a strategy that somebody uses. It may be that you have to be very careful of any new demands. I mean, there's, there's lots of jokes around at the moment about what day of the week is it? And I've actually been asking, you know, what day is it today? It feels like a Sunday. Mm. Yeah. You know? And a Sunday for a lot of people could be quite a day of family activities and low arousal and low demand and so on. But that's all changed to a certain degree because we cannot leave the house. We cannot leave the environment we're in. So I think it depends upon the, the person's level of, 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 in terms of communication and age and understanding and so on. But definitely be honest. You're as anxious in some ways and, and as concerned about what's happening as they're going to be but i do think sometimes you know the individual though that honesty is the best policy and it could be with that honesty and with that something like shall we both research what's going on and then to a certain degree then when you've got that directiveness a person can see that it's coming from a government a big organizational body and it might be they can cope with that demand whereas it was just coming from you as an individual or parent they might not cope with it so well. So it's not you saying, oi, this has to happen. It's a bigger agency saying it's going to happen. But I think the honesty is really important. The, you know, and accepting the fact that at this moment in time, early on, three weeks in, whatever, you know, the individual that you live with does to stay calm, to self-regulate, let them do it. You know, let, if, if all of a sudden, I mean, I'm, I'm here with two teenagers and their screen time has gone like that. Yeah, we've all all of a sudden got Netflix and Disney and and now TV, their special seven-day offers, whatever, yeah? That's the kind of thing you do because you're trying to relax, you're trying to keep yourself calm. That's going to happen too. Um, So I think that a negotiation to a certain degree, a self-exploration of what's going on, so that if the person's able to, they can see the bigger picture. They can understand why it's happening. And it isn't just a parent putting down a new set of rules. It's actually that we all have to go through. And I've I've to someone today and he's been really all over the internet. His knowledge of the situation is far better than mine, but he's calmer because of the research he's done and his situation with the family he's with is calmer because he's been able to do that. They basically said, look, we don't know what's going on. Can you help us? And he went, yeah, I will. Straight on the internet. He loves it. Boom. And that reduced his anxiety levels incredibly, as with the, the people around him. Mm. But, <clears throat> excuse my throat. You've got um, issues around, you know, the, for most individuals, their home is a very safe place. So they're going to have areas they could go to, perhaps maybe areas where there are uh, areas that are from a, a sensory issue, where they've got a low arousal area or, you know, an area they go to where they've got something they use to, to calm and relax and so on. Um, I do think that there's a lot of debate about having some kind of structure because we need that, I think. I've had to build structure up, I must confess, over the past three weeks. But I think, again, negotiating that structure is really cool. I think it's a lot about negotiation, a lot about being open, a lot about – and also, um, the, again, PDS Society, there's some great resources. Look at the demands that are occurring during your natural day. Do they have to be there? Are they really that important? Right. Right. Um, there's a lovely bit um, on one of the PDA Society videos where it's something akin to, does your, your son or daughter have to wear shoes and socks inside the house? So if they don't have to, they don't have to. Yeah. When yeah. we're going out in the car, 
Do they have to? Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. You can see the subtlety there of changing the demand. Right. And that right. Kind of is, is really, really important. So you, you know your son or daughter. If you have online capabilities, go to somewhere that's amazing, like the PDA Society website. There are loads of resources and signposts, so all the other stuff that's going around the globe in terms of accessing videos and exploration and stuff and, and work you can do with, with children, individuals within a house and negotiate stuff and, and look at the demands that are during the day and think, what can I reduce? What can I reduce? But I still think we're in a transition time, if I can call it that. It's only three weeks in. It seems like an eternity to me. Yeah. Um, where I think we're about to hit with at least another three weeks to go where they need to really sit down the individuals and to work out and to negotiate and to grow together. It's going to be really important. As I think a lot of families are going through at this moment in time. That's so useful. Thank you. I definitely agree with um, everything you've said, including this, uh, the idea that, you know, think about what demands you can reduce, right, or just get rid of or, or, or angle in a, better, a more healthy way, perhaps. Um, forgive me there's a a document I'm trying to find it on here it's on the PDA here we go it's a priority rating chart it's by uh, wow it's it's in a a lovely book by by Phil Christie and collaborative approaches to learning it's by Phil Christie and Ruth Fiddler it's on the PDA Society website get it Amazon is still delivering if you haven't got it get it it is superb and in there there's a priority rating chart and it literally says it says to you what's important during the day What's important mm-hmm. during the day? If it's really important, it's almost non-negotiable. You've got to wear shoes when you go out. Do you have to? Do you have to sit at the breakfast table? Do you have to sit at the table and have breakfast with us all? No, you don't. Mm-hmm. In which case, then that reduces the demand. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. found that incredibly, incredibly important to all over the years, and I shared that page with everybody. And I say to people, get the book; it's fantastic. And you'll see the book on the PDA Society website. It is so, so amazing. Oh, that sounds um, great. It's a brilliant resource. But it makes you as a parent, but I use it with educators and professionals as well, look at your day. And is it really, you know, it's, somebody said to me, it's really choose your battles, isn't it? And I yeah. think, well, I don't like to use that term because it isn't a battle, but a lot of people get it right. when I say that. Right. It is a question of looking at what the demands are during the day and working out what's really important. And by looking at that, you reduce a huge amount of stress and demands for everybody across the board, which is so important. Right, right. We've got a comment here from Celine Rayol. Thank you, Celine. Um, she says, I'm letting my seven-year-old lead everything from t- the time he gets up, get showered, dress, food, activity, the works. Um, that's a good idea, right, uh, Tigger, to, to sort of let, let your child to some degree uh, lead. And I know, like because the, that way it's a negotiation. Would you agree? Yeah, I, like the, I like the negotiation. I like the collaboration, yeah. the fact you right. work together mm-hmm. as a team. So, and then, you know, one of the things you talk about, even the way you change, how you ask someone to do something, you know, how do you change your sentences can be so, so important to how it's then received and processed and taken on board. But that, that thing I said earlier on where a parent went, look, I really don't know what's going on. I'm stuck. Can you help me? Yeah, I'll do that. I'll go online and sort it out. The person then self-educated was in control. There was no demand, no demand, saw the bigger picture and then went, okay. And, and for that one there, yeah, you know, his demands are, are considerably reduced because he's taking a lead for the day. And I'm, 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 you know, I'm sure working with the family around him, being collaborative, negotiating stuff, and it's fantastic. And that's so, you know, I keep saying we're only three weeks in. And I do think that, 
you know, there's at least three weeks to go and we've got to really start to get it right and reduce anxiety levels for everybody in a household. I mean, I'm really glad we said earlier on that the, the government saw, as many agencies said to them, this going out once a day isn't going to work. You need to go out with family members, perhaps parent carers and so on. And they changed those guidelines, thankfully, because that I know has made a huge amount of difference for so many people that, that I'm in contact with. But yeah, that sounds, you know, for him it works. He's fantastic. Yeah, um, agreed. So um, I've had a few questions for you, Tigger, that I've been collecting. Um, so first one is, um, does PDA show up at a particular age or this kind of thing? Because um, I, know, I know with um, my own son, he's got a, a lot of... Uh, learning disabilities as well as autism and other additional needs as well. Um, but um, he, almost from a baby, was um, in his developmental stages, was kind of avoiding every single stage as almost as if it was painful, you know, to as a baby to sit up and to do, you know. So, so it was really difficult to, for me to teach him uh, even the most basic things like... Um, trying different foods when he was a baby and things like that took a took much longer you know that than uh would normally do so um i was just wondering is this does it really depend on the individual then i think my most thing depends on the individual i think very early on the most important people around a child from my viewpoint are the parents or parent yeah because they know they understand they see things that I'm not being too unkind here. Professionals won't in a snapshot kind of a, uh, a look at. So very often you might suddenly think, oh, you know, there's, there's an issue of stress or anxiety when we are directly or indirectly ask someone to do something or tell someone to do something, whichever terminology you want to use. And I think sometimes parents go, oh, no, yeah, he always likes his own way or he always likes to be in control or she's always, you know, designing things that, that she's the centre of attention. Yeah, some people saying that. And I think some individuals that I've spoken to and I've read over the years say that early on, they, you know, that, that, yeah, there's something here that's different. There's something here where, yeah, certainly, the, you know, my, my son or daughter or, or individual likes to be in charge, doesn't like being directed or asked or told what to do. And that sometimes is, is, is an early indicator. And you look at it very early on, some individuals, some parents will see that. But again, everybody is different. I think that you often get um, young individuals that may, you know, you get that 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 the area of autism and the the identification there very often comes up first, and parents will see some issues around, you know, the the various situations there, interaction, communication, so on, that will be different from other children, and, and look at those. And then when they see those interactions happening, when perhaps there's a bit more communication going on, then all of a sudden, yeah, hang on a minute, you're taking control. You're leading it in a particular way. It might be in a great way, in a fantastic way, in a very productive way, in a fun way, but he or she is leading it. And that's very often what people see. But again, it's down to individuals. So very often there's that that identification of, of, of autism there first. And then when perhaps a bit more social interaction is taking place, you think, well, hang on a minute. This person is brilliant at doing this, at doing that. You know, I asked them to do this, and all of a sudden they're doing that, but that's a good idea. And all of a sudden you feel yourself being being taken along. And then parents are sometimes retroactively back and they sort of themselves, yeah, okay, that person was 
deflecting the demand I was putting in place or had thought of something even better or had put it off to a later date or negotiated something new with me. And they suddenly realised that from a very um, proactive way that that person is actually reducing the demands and therefore the stress that goes with them. So I'd say, you know, early on, you've got that identification around autism and then you've got issues around social interaction, like sharing of things, being asked things to do, as we said, so on and so forth, where people go, oh, hang on a minute, and they see there that something is different. I mean, at, at the end of the day, again, on the PDA Society website, there is a brilliant questionnaire, um, extremely random audience questionnaire, where there's a whole list of areas you'd look through as a parent. And, and it's a tick box kind of situation. And it raises such questions where you look at, again, I've got it here to read from it, where you look at certain situations and interactions that your your son or daughter may have, and you think, right, okay, that, that seems to fit, fit the box. And that in itself is, it's things like, you know, uh, this is taken from the PDA Society website uh, on the Extreme Demand of Audience Questionnaire, which is fantastic. And I found that an incredibly important tool. Uh, obsessively resists and avoids ordinary demands and requests you see that happening at a certain age when you're interacting when you're asking a child to do certain things um is driven for the need to be in charge those are my toys i'm taking control of this hey i'm going to design this play and put it on for everybody else that's around things like that so early on but i think when you've got a lot more social interaction happening you suddenly begin to see that kind of like taking charge taking control of can use those terms but deflecting those demands in a very 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 interesting way um i also uh, had a question about um where it's where pda is combined with learning disabilities and with um communication difficulties and things like that it's often um really really complicated situations so um i had a friend uh whose son um almost almost uh built up like a food aversion because of the the natural parental instinct is that you must get your child to eat and yeah, yeah. so therefore the the child was resisting that you know so they found that the the only way to deal with it was um you know to to stop all the demands and um just to basically leave some food on the table and see what happened as soon as they did that the child would eat, you know, started eating and they I mean, were amazed. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting because, again, the table is in demand. Yeah. The chair by the table is in demand. Um, even, you know, going shopping and buying certain kind of food is a demand. It's a visual demand for some individuals, yeah? Um, I remember working with somebody and their awesome son wouldn't go to bed and they wanted him to go to bed. So there's an issue here, yeah? They wanted him to go to bed because that's what they thought that's what they believe or they perceived a normal child does. Um, we're all different. We're all awesome. So we had a long discussion and realized that they kept calling the room his bedroom. That's a demand. There was a bed in there. That's a demand. Let alone the time of day and the routine for the day they go up to that viewpoint and so on and so forth. And I remember saying to this awesome, awesome parent, listen, never call it a bedroom again. Take the bed out. Take the headboard out, leave a nice quilt or sleeping bag or just blankets on the floor. And she was like, well, I can't do this. He needs to sleep in a bed. And I went, he needs to sleep, yeah. But the demands around that room, like eating, are huge. And thankfully, um, she was cool and she did all of that. And I remember getting the phone call saying, wow, he slept last night. And she went, he's not sleeping on a bed. I said, no, he's not sleeping on a bed, but he slept. And you're right, 
you know, even a plate in front of you. This is why I think about indirect demands. Like I said to people, and I've learned so much from great PDAs over the years. You know, demands sometimes we don't, you know, we don't see. We think, can you sit down there? Can you go and do this? Now we're doing that. They're demands that we can see quite clearly sometimes, yeah? But a plate on a table, a particular kind of food, a chair in front of a table, a bed in a bedroom, they're demands as well. They're just indirect, and, and sometimes, you know, people don't see that. And you can remove the simplest of things, like just putting the plate on the table, putting the food there, and forgetting the routine and the demands that go with that routine. And somebody's like, yeah, I'll eat that. And, you know, and I do sometimes think a lot of demands, a lot of anxieties put in place because we think we – I was brought up – I was brought up that you sit around a table to have your evening meal. I was brought up that you finish every bit on that plate, otherwise you don't get your dessert, yeah? And sometimes then we place those upon our own children, and that's hugely anxiety-laden and demand-laden and so on. And mm. so sometimes without thinking ourselves, the way we design our environments or our structure of the day or our cultural expectations are demands. I was going to sort of, interesting you said cultural expectations, girls just going to sort of come in and say there's often a lot of cultural expectations, aren't there, about what's right, what's wrong. And that's a whole nother level of layered oh, yeah. demands, isn't it? I mean, the point about um, having your child sit at the table, you know, it's, and eat your, eat, you know, family meal together, that's something I remember with my child, uh, that was sort of you know, expected culturally, you know, coming from, you know, I'm Greek, you know, and we're supposed to, you know, we sit together as a family and my wife is Jewish. And so for her, it was very important as well. And that was something that we always hoped we would do. It was something we envisaged that we'd sit together, you know, have our mm. family meal, talk about, you know, what's what's been going on and bond. But actually, well, you know, we, we, we realized fairly quickly that, that, that just, you know, that's just, a, that was a big demand that he was actively clearly avoiding. And in fact, that avoidance was actually, you know, protecting his mental health, you know, pushing, yeah, compl- yeah, continuously yeah. pushing for him to do something that we expected to be normal or desirable. You link on top of that the sensory issues as well. Yeah. And it's just anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. You know, you, you go into, there's a particular way of shopping, there's a particular way of going to school, there's a particular way of fitting into society. And I'm, I have learned and strongly believe that all those particular ways that we, you know, that are forced upon us from a society viewpoint, cultural viewpoint, are actively adding to everybody's stress levels. Yeah. Um, I worked with um, Sainsbury's in Truro several years ago to create a quiet time. Regularly, they were fantastic. And I remember I did a survey. Everybody that went to that shop went, it's so, so nice to come into an environment where the radios aren't blaring and the lights aren't really loud and the tunnel isn't going over every five seconds or so. There's about a long day at work and it's really less stressful. And yet people are told to put the tellies on, to have the lights on really bright, and they're calling for things every so often to get people to buy stuff and, and, and so on and so forth. And it just raises anxiety levels. And, and we do, you know, that you know, that, as I say, sitting at the table or that bit, but he must sleep in a bed. Why? Mm. You know what I mean? Why? And I think another level, another layer to all this that makes it all a bit more challenging dealing with this is the sort of stigma that comes along with not following through with expectations, you know, culturally, you know, so you got to handle that as well. There's always that sort of oh, fight yeah. that, you know, you want to put your child, your child's well-being first you know, and you recognize or whoever it is you want to, you know, or it might be yourself, put yourself first, you know, protect your own well-being, avoid, you know, that demand doesn't work for you. 
However, that then may come along with a lot of sort of negative judgments about, oh, why isn't that person doing that? Or why should he get away with that? You know, I don't want to oh, do yeah. that, but yeah. blah, blah. And all of that makes it, I guess it's just another sort of level of uh, demand. <laughs> it is. It's, it's really the thing. The thing I get a lot is I sometimes, with families, I'll admit as well, and with organisations, you go in and some people get it and some don't. And that's where you get the naughty child bit. Oh, I don't. And again, because it's not in those diagnostic manuals, you know, identification manuals. It is. Oh, I don't. I don't believe it exists. He's just. He's. She's just taking control all the time and not doing any work. And as soon as the other kids got onto it, they're going to do the same. And yeah, that happens a lot. And it's a process of education and understanding. Yeah. Mm. Um, but you're right. A lot of the time, the perception and expectation levels of others is a demand, and that demand can be devastating when half an environment is desperately trying to put everything in place to help their son or daughter develop without those levels of anxiety being there um, you know sensory issues and, and so on but it is you get it a lot i get an awful lot of, i've even got you know professionals i've known very well for a long time going look i know this is the kind of stuff you do but really i don't think it exists at all i think it's down to bad parent or bad kid and i'm sorry as i'm sure you will have heard that i still hear that and i think it's the 21st century yeah. but i still hear that a lot regrettably but it is changing and there are a lot of PDAs out there and people at like the PDA Society and other societies, <clears throat> excuse me, across the globe that are actively raising awareness and that's acceptance great. and understanding, yeah, which is so great. important. It's fascinating how you put it, though. You know, you sort of, I've got to, got to be honest, I never really thought how every little thing or little inverted commas is a demand. You know, the the bed, you know, the placement of the bed, the, you know, the table being there and the chairs around it and the, every little thing. It, it's it's something to explore. Now, for some people, it wouldn't mm. make a difference at all. For some people, I think the bed would be fine, the table would be fine, the food would be fine. But for some individuals, you know that it does. Yeah. You can you can just read it. You can see actively that person isn't wanting to do something because exam, the, 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 the demand it places upon them. And for some individuals as well, there's, there's some um, amazing literature out there. There's some amazing books out there where and one video, especially where one individual describes, I could do it. It's about wearing shoes where he says, you know, I could wear shoes yesterday and I think I might be able to wear them tomorrow, but just now I can't. And it's the understanding of that just now I can't isn't a whim or an idea mm. or um, a, a ploy or whatever. It's all of a sudden, I can't do this. I cannot do this. And that, I think, is enlightening for, for many individuals as well. It, it's, it's, you know, it, as with many things, it, it changes. And it is that inability. It's completely and utterly out of that person's control. Yeah. There are some brilliant literatures out there with PDAs describing how they've done, you know, they've, they've they've done hurtful things, said hurtful things to family members, to loved ones, and they have bitterly regretted it afterwards. They still did it. They have bitterly regretted it afterwards. It's almost like, boom, you know, the, 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 the anxiety is so immense and so huge that things are said and done that have the very devastatingly hurt individuals close to people. And it's, it's like, boom. And they recognize I didn't want to do that. I so didn't want to do it, but it's like the, the guy with the shoes, you know, I wore them yesterday. Yeah. And I might be able to wear them tomorrow, but at this moment in time, I can't, can you not respect that? And that I think is a, a fascinating insight in many ways. Yeah. Um, I should just highlight Deborah Holmes's comment here. She's my son. She says, my son is undiagnosed. PDA profile. I fought CAMS for three years alone <clears throat> and then got a second opinion at Scanned, uh, Morsley. Scanned is the um, 
the the uh, uh, service for complex autism and neurological disorders, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, so she got second opinion and it was confirmed complex autism. Any thoughts on that? I would, if there's, if there's, if there's a certain thought process there around, you know, a demand avoidance, etc., I would go straight to the PDA Society. They have amazing professionals. And actually, she's like, do you have a support group? Is that Deborah Holmes, yeah? Yeah, Deborah Holmes, name, yeah. yeah? yeah. My apologies. There is, uh, they have a phone line. They have support groups across the country. They have amazing parents and individuals that will be able to give us some incredible advice and certainly in and around London. And I think that's one of the best places to go. Uh, complex autism, come on. I, I, come on, you must hear terms like complex, low-functioning, high-functioning, yeah. kind of, there's still a lot out there. And you think, yeah. wow. So um, I certainly would get, because what you can get then from the PDA side, he's really good downloads for medical psychologists and speech and language therapists and so on to add to these situations where you go and meet with professionals and also there's some really good stuff there that educate professionals there are guidebooks there for teachers for speech and language therapists and so on who've never heard of pda before and to be handed a book like that might change their outlook of a certain term they're using to understand that the world of pda does exist and then mm. develop strategies and approaches that that you know enhance that and, and respond to that um I've got a few more comments um, just to go through, uh, Tigger. Um, <coughs> Celine Rail says, absolutely no demands at the minute. The change in his school and activities routine alone was enough to raise his anxiety. And, and I mean, this is one of the reasons why we're having this conversation, isn't it? Is, is given the whole, as we've been talking about, complete shift in all rules, I suppose, as to what um, daily life looks like and what to expect. And as you said, the change in school and activities, routines alone is enough to raise his anxiety. Yeah, well, you're, I mean, I'm sure, you know, many of us know the example of, um, you know, it's been used often enough, the, the, the fizzy pop bottle, where the anxiety is there at school and everybody does come back at home and all of a sudden, you know, the, the meltdowns occur and so on. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there are some great educational establishments out there and there are, there are some that don't get, PDA, um, who don't get autism and therefore follow that predictable route of you must do this, you must be here at a certain time, you must go to that classroom, you must now see this teacher, all of those demands and anxiety-laden interactions which hugely impact upon the individual and then the family as well mm. and moment in time you know, I think if you talk about processing, we're only three weeks into a massive change in our lives, Yeah, I don't know how long it's going to go on for but um, I do know it's going to go on for at least another three weeks, as we all do. And I think, you know, it, it's it's a, 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 tra- a traditional point. It's a processing point that we're all going through. And I am hearing, just interestingly enough, a lot of parents are saying how they're homeschooling for the first time in ages. They're educationally doing stuff with the help of teachers from schools and so on. And they're getting a better level of learning than they've ever had before. And that's yeah. an interesting debate, I think, at the moment as well, if I may touch upon it is the fact that a lot of parents are talking at the moment saying, hey, it's great, and he or she is learning. Hmm. And that, I think, will be interesting to look at once the schools do start again, because all of a sudden you're going to get... We've transitioned into this, and it's been complex and, you know, an anxiety-laden for some individuals. We're also going to transition out of it at some point, and that in itself is going to be anxiety-laden and full of complex issues for so many people that we know. So... um, 
but no, the, the I, I there's some amazing schools out there. I also come into contact with a lot of schools that just don't get it from a sense viewpoint, from a viewpoint, from a PDA viewpoint, and they are they are hugely placing the demands and therefore huge amounts of anxiety upon you know individuals in their in their settings. Uh, yeah, fully agree. Uh, we have here a comment from Alice Brindley. Uh, she says, I'm interested to know why turning things into a race or challenge seems to help my daughter. Is this because it seems less like a demand? She yeah. is four and undiagnosed, but in the, in the long process. I have an issue where how do you deal with husband and relatives thinking that she needs to learn how to behave such as sitting at the table for dinner, as yeah, she'll have yeah. to do it for school society. I mean, yeah, this is what we've been talking about, isn't this, it? This is a really difficult one in terms yeah. of other people's expectation levels, very yeah. much. So, and I get that. Um, the race, the challenge, it's changing the whole communication process. You must do this. I want you to do this. Hey, I bet I can do that quicker than you can. Even if we do it with each other, it's fun, isn't it? Yeah, make it into um, a game. Yeah, make it a yeah. game. You still yeah. get the same result. I, I can remember working with. Um, a great friend of mine, and he wanted to cook. Uh, one of my first PDA teachers, if I may call him that, PDA teachers. And if I'd said to him, you know, we need to cook beans beans on toast tonight, he would have been like, I don't think so. Let's do this, let's do that. I don't want him. My arms don't work. All these things would have happened. Let, let's do a space story instead, whatever. And I walked in and I went, I bet you I can make beans on toast quicker than you can. I've got a stopwatch. <laughs> And he went, you're on. <laughs> and it's, you know, and I, I, I learned that over the years. Yeah. Right, and it, right. and it's, it is, it's because it's fun. It's because it's, it's, it's not, it's in, it's an indirect way of getting something. You know, that yeah. A to B thing, A to B, we always think is a straight line. No, it doesn't have to be. You can go yeah. wiggly, 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 but yeah. you still get from A to B. And with it not being a straight line, I mean, it's, it's less laden with demands. Yeah. But the other bit about, um, and I really get this. Because I said, you know, you get you get sometimes one part of the family getting it and one part not. It's really difficult. And that's where, again, I go back to PDA Society. I've often said to families, look, both watch this video. Both read this book. There, there's some amazing, uh, some amazing uh, titles out there. Um, My Daughter Is Not Naughty is another brilliant book. Um, and I've actively worked with families. And I've said, look, just read the book. Just read the book. And then a parent's come back and gone, oh, yeah, okay, I get it now. And it can be little moments like that where it's going on a website, downloading something, watching a video. There can be pivotal moments in changing people's understanding and their expectation levels of creating a huge amount of stress for the individual that they love and live with. But it's a difficult one because, you know, I I still get it in schools. I, still, I mean, I was in a, a specialist environment uh, not so long ago where one of the individual's professionals there said to me, I don't believe in it. I just don't believe in it. I think the kid's just naughty. And I was like, I can't believe that. Um, and yet I've also been to environments where they're fantastic. If I can use the term, they've been over backwards. They've been amazing in, in changing the environment and the communication practices to, to suit the needs of, of the individuals in the school. And they're incredible. But, but you still get some individuals that go, no, you've got to sit at the table. You've got to go sleep in a bed. You've got to eat this food. You've got to finish your greens. Otherwise, you won't have a pudding. Um and it's education. I think education helps that. And that's why I always send people to the, the PDA Society or, or even involve a, a dialogue with them where I can to kind of help educate and signpost. It's, it's such a shame. It's it's uh, just awful, awful that, you know, there are some cases that you can come across where, you know, schools or some people within schools, 
you know, aren't believing in it or they're not, you know, they're not understanding it, they're not getting it, they're not working with it. Uh, it's, it's, that's a real problem, isn't it? Because, you know, obviously schools are a critical place for our mm. children's overall development and well-being, right? And so if you've got a teacher or, or a, a, an entire school culture and philosophy who just, you know, don't want to think critically about perhaps what's going on and think consider this, Mm. then, I mean, crikey, it's a bad position, isn't it? And that school does need a lot of work and intervention. It's, it's, you know, this is 30 years I've been lucky enough to learn and grow in this environment. And, um, you know, people don't like this, but I worked for the Spastic Society Mm. when it was the Spastic Society. And I was there when they changed, you know, from that name to scope. Yeah. And I've seen the progression, the development, and I still see it going on. So I'm a great believer in how things are changing positively. Mm. Education, sharing, and we're, I do believe we're a much more accepting society mm. than we have been before, along that, that neurodiverse line and accepting individuals for who they are. Um, but it's just the process of, of, of sharing, understanding, and growing. As I said, I do go to some environments, and I go, wow, you are cool. Wow. You are absolutely incredible in what you do. But as I'm sure you know, you've experienced and your, your listeners and followers have experienced some environments where you know you meet the school's autism champion, and you just sit there going, "Really?" Because <laughs> they've mm. done a two-hour training session, mm. and they get the tick on the box for that. But I've met so many individuals that have done that and then researched so much more and get it. Why is it some you know places <laughs> are great and get it, and others? Do you think leadership might be part of it? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think at the end of the day. You have to be accepted as an individual. I mean, I, I, I was a teacher for years. I know the pressures, you know, the the, the, the work pressure you have, um, the attainment pressure, the goal pressure, and so on is immense. And sometimes that funnels you in what you're able to look at and explore. But if you want the best for your students and, and the diverse for the students that are now in every single classroom, you've got to expand. And you, you go back and you think, well, where where's that knowledge start? Does that knowledge start at teacher training? And you go back further, you think, well, does that knowledge start in the media? I mean, in, in recent, I mean, um, God, I can't remember when Rain Man came out. Was it the late 80s? Yeah, something like that. So I can remember Rain Man being, you know, if you say to somebody, you were, I, I remember years ago saying, I work with, with individuals that are awesome, autistic, and they go, oh, just like that guy on Rain Man. And I go, no. no. And, you know, we, and we've grown. So I think you, you, the media's changing representation a yeah. lot. Um, but I think sometimes you just get individuals that are more proactive than us that really explore stuff and go, oh, I want to find out more. And then realise the amazing effect it has, not just upon one student in the environment, but a lot of other students as well. And I think that's when people realise that, that, that can be a, a fascinating, enlightening and, and growing moment. But you're right, some people just do and some people just don't. Um, yeah. If I could uh, mention where my son has recently this year gone through a transition uh, into from a special needs primary school into special needs secondary school. So the the two schools have done a fantastic thing. That they've set up, um, they've partnered together with the transition process. Um, and for throughout the the year before the transition, they were taking him taking the children on trips to the new school to get them used to the environment to show them the layout, the classrooms, uh, the playground, you know, where the toilet is. They had their lunch there, then they would come back once a week or something like that. You know, they would see the sensory room. Then when he went, you know, in, in uh, September, 
he had no problem. They were, they were, you know, the, the kids all went and they knew the school. They had absolutely no problem. And I think it's a, it's a shame that that's kind of been undone with um, what's happened with the, you know, COVID and everything. But I think it's a model that maybe everyone can kind of learn from now that, oh yeah, you know, they're going to need a big transition period to go back. You know, yeah, a, a, yeah. Lot, a lot of kids are, you know. Yeah, very much so. And I think that's why, I mean, as with all of us, my, my process of, of thoughts are changing at the moment because we're in such a fluid environment regards to the world and, 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 and COVID and so on. But I'm, you know, I've been thinking a lot today about coming up to this and talking to some families today as well and thinking we are, you know, we're three weeks in. We've got another three weeks at least to go. We're still transitioning in. It's going to be just as important just as it is to visit a new school and to get used to it, mm. to learn how to, and to plan to transition out as well, mm. um, to reduce anxieties, demands there, so on and so forth. But the school example is brilliant because it is, hey, I know where I'm going. I know the people I'm going to meet. I know what the classrooms are like. I know what the food is like. I'm comfortable. And rather than have it sprung upon you on the first term in September, there's time to plan for it, which is really important and really positive. And that's really lovely to hear. And yeah, very good example. I know lots of schools that do it. I'd love every school to think about doing it because it would make everybody's life so much easier. Yeah. So I don't know if there's hopefully the the schools somewhere will be planning like uh, whether there's like visuals or something like that. I don't know if there's communication difficulties like there is with my son. How we'll kind of communicate to him that he's going back and and that kind of thing. Yeah. I said a lot of things I've shared at the moment from people like Mackerton and, and Boardmaker and Widget and People First and Photo Symbols and so on. They're all designing stuff to help with wash your hands, you've got to stay indoors, where you go on trip. And they're really lovely visual aids and visual resources to have. So I'm sure in turn they'll design stuff for when, you know, when, when individuals are going back into all those different environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, Celine Ryle says not having the demands of school has given him the <coughs> capacity to try a couple of foods he wouldn't have entertained historically, which is which is very, very interesting and, and really sort of, again, talks to what we've been talking about, you know, in that, yeah, yeah. you know, replacing or removing uh, demands can have those additional benefits, right, in terms of coping and then reduced anxiety through the day that might enable someone to try things or, you know, that they may not have... Before. And again, if you've got an individual that's able to communicate in a particular way, there are other, um, you know, like like PDA to me, it, 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 there are forms you can download again, I know, PDA Society, it gives the person the ability to say, this is this is what I don't like, this is what I do like, this is what raises my anxiety, this is how I like things to be worded. And again, you're collaboratively, work, collaboratively working with the individual to find a pathway of communication and, and, you know, get through daily activities that works for both of you. Uh, and those can be extremely beneficial as well to get a person's insight if they're able to into what their world is. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think the communication aspect could could be really important indeed. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the idea of collaboration, would you agree with perhaps parents, you know, or whoever it is, uh, uh, apologising even? You know, you know, we don't always get things right. I I like to apologise to my children. You know, that always sort of seems to. Uh, help with the relationship the partnership it just it just reduces their perception of me as an authority person that they can oppose and see it sees me more as someone on a you know level playing field that's with them trying to you know work in partnership and i always think that just you know not being afraid to apologize and you know if you do feel like you've got things perhaps a little wrong it's, it's it's very 
it's a very difficult game, isn't it? So it is, you're bound think, to struggle. Yeah, that bit at the beginning where I said, I've learned this, and I'll say I've learned it the hard way. Be honest. If you're mm. able to, and I think honesty also is, I'm sorry I got that wrong. I'm really yeah. sorry I got that wrong. And yeah. it's so hard as adults to do that, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. we're not supposed to get it wrong, are we? No, no. Yeah. Like, hey, we know everything. We're really cool. <laughs> no, I get it wrong every day. Yeah. And the ability to, to, to say that to somebody is a great leveler. It's also a great amount of honesty. And that can only be beneficial um, in, in my eyes because you then, you're right, you take away, I'm not, I'm not that authority authority figure you think that I am. I am a human being just like you. And let's have a race to see who can do baked beans first or a race down the garden or whatever, yeah? And we can work that way. It doesn't have to be me saying, you must, you must, you must. Some things it is. You must wear those shoes because you can't go on the road without wearing shoes or, you you know, you, you, you must have a seatbelt in the car. But at other times it's, and there's a reason why. You know, making his demands come from other authorities and so on rather than from yourself, but also that that honesty and that collaboration of, of being together, I think, is brilliant. Yeah, definitely. So, so obviously, I'm aware of time. We've been talking for, even though it's gone so quickly. Wow. Um, you were right about that. Yeah, we did warn you about that. Yeah. Just to sort of sum up, perhaps the kind of key bits of advice I think would be useful. So, I'm thinking in terms of what I've heard. If you'd agree, uh, as you said. Uh, think about what demands you should be prioritizing and deprioritizing. Prioritize uh, emotional well-being. I, I think. You oh know, yes, put that very first. Much so. yeah, 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 yeah. And again, that ties in with the previous point, right? I mean, you know, there are going to be a, a many demands during the day that just aren't going to be important in in boosting emotional well-being, or in fact, could reduce it. So the mm-hmm. whole game is about mm-hmm. emotional well-being, yeah. isn't it? So the the internal self, the, the emotional well-being that uh, across the whole of the family at this moment in time as well, obviously, yeah, yeah. Is, is really important. I mean, I wrote some stuff down. If I may, the, the choosing. Oh, please priorities. do, please do. Oh, yeah, um, the choosing priorities. How important is it that they definitely the the collaboration, the discussion, the honesty? Um, there is some issue with some individuals about praise, which I wanted to add. Oh yeah, praise for some individuals is a demand. That's really great. Well done, Tom. He's mm. also, I want you to do the same thing again. Yeah, so there right. are some issues around that. I thought I'd drop that in there. That's fascinating. Um, <clears throat> yeah, depersonalize de- to be crash. I- I've done, I've done where where food um, patterns in jelly babies has has ordered what's happening during the day, or I've just put a poster on the wall. So it's not me saying this is what we're doing. The poster is changing aspects of communication that are there. Drama, fantasy, role playing, that kind of stuff is awesome. I have. I can't tell the amount of times I've been a spaceman or a monster or a World War One aircraft pilot just to make – and I've done that I, to make the day work better. Um, sensory issues, yes. Processing time for both of you, yes. Or for all of you, I think that's important. Thinking outside the box, I love. Um, having a plan A and B and C and D are often really useful. And that bit from going to A to B, it doesn't have to be a straight line. That straight line is such a demand upon all of you. Go wiggly waggly, but you still get to B. It's just not so demand laden or confrontational. So I think that, you know, the communication aspects are, are really important. And I think, you know, if you see a demand that you know is causing issues, reduce it, get rid of it. Sensory stuff, please look at it. Um, communication, we always think of speech. Does it have to be speech? It can be sticky notes or a bit on a computer or a YouTube clip. Um, but also th- that you mentioned emotional resilience and, and, and understanding and so on. 
empower, support the individual. At a certain age, we develop that inner voice where we can say, I feel like this, maybe, or I like it if you do that. We often, you know, don't have those conversations in our lives, and they're so important. Um, and make it fun. Do you know, I often say to people that the hardest times I've ever had sometimes have been with, in my early years, when I was first working with PDAs and they were educating me, and yet I'll conversely say some of the best times of my life, some of the most fun I've ever had, some of the most amazing things I've ever done, I've been working with and learning from awesome PDAs that I've had the, 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 you know, the chance to spend time with and to learn from. I'll be, you know, whether or not he gets in those manuals one day soon, those, those manuals will be great to see if it does. People like the PDA Society in the UK and other societies across the globe are really raising awareness. And, and though I've, you know, I've mentioned some stuff and, you know, added on to yours, please do go to the PDA Society website. It's free. There is loads of excellent videos, books, resources, downloadable information that can be incredibly important to you, to family, to school, you know, to, to other family members and to the individual themselves. But a lot of it is, it's, I like the, I like the collaboration a lot. It doesn't have to be a, you must do this, that making it fun, making it a collaborative approach, being honest with each other, reducing demands, the sensory based stuff. They can all pay huge dividends during the day. And what is really important, really important is to have a great day. Not that you must sit at the table or you must go to bed under that quilt cover. It's have a great day. And those are the things I, I often look at really. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Agree with you, Tigger. Um, especially, um, around sleep issues which we get asked in our facebook group a lot i'm mostly able to tell the people the same thing because i learned through my son the, the same thing where things got really really bad the more demands i put on him like you know the worse he got and the later bedtime it came but as soon as i realized that it was a sensory issue around mm. being in a dark room taking away depriving him, him of all the the sensory things that he needed because he's um a hyposensitive so mm. you know it means he needs that sensory input not to have anxiety and things like that so he he goes to sleep uh, you can probably see him behind me he's asleep on the couch you know it's a bright room he's got his tv on quietly but he goes to sleep every night like this um and then i i sort of get him up in a an hour or two and walk him into bed and he's fine. He sleeps much better now, you know, so it's about, um, I think the whole thing is about um, giving them respect that they deserve yeah. and re realizing their human rights and, and giving yes. them the sense of personal freedom so that they don't have to be pushing back all the time. You know, and, and I, I'd like to add as well. There's the PDAs as an awesome group of individuals, um, have been massively important and educational to me. There are great YouTubers out there and Facebook individuals. Can I send you stuff you could share on your Facebook page? Well, I'd very happily do that. Absolutely. There's, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. there's people like Harry Thompson and Sally Cat and Julia Dawn and others that are incredibly leading this world on understanding the PDA because of their insight. It is fantastic. And over the past two or three years, they have incredibly educated me to have a much deeper understanding of the awesome world of PDA. And they're incredibly awesome human beings themselves. Well, thanks again, Tigger. It's absolutely been amazing talking with you. And again, thanks for your time and your uh, insight today and also all of the incredible work you've done over the years. It's really inspirational. Um, I'm, I'm, so. I'm learning. I'm learning all the time. 
And I love it. I'm so lucky to be able to learn and to rethink and to regrow all the time. But thank you so much for giving me a chance to talk on here and to meet you too in person, so to speak, rather than, than in the virtual world I've seen you before. And again, all the awesome stuff you're doing up there is incredible. And I'm certainly looking at a few things you're doing and thinking I might, you know, adopt a few of your ideas and thoughts of the awesome cat you call. Because what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. And we're always open to collaboration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. yeah, yeah. All right. So um, I will sign off. Uh, and yeah, thanks again. And take care of yourself as well, Tigger. And you all. Thank you so much. Be safe and take care. Thank you, Tigger. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's all right. Bye. Bye.